options. All right. Okay, so we're, we're rolling. It's, it's red, solid red. So we're, okay, it's solid red. We're rolling. Awesome. These don't work. Just it's just these two. Right, right. Yeah. So I was thinking about. Um, I was in the eighth grade, Walker Junior High, uh, La Palma, California, 1978 or 79. Pretty sure it's 78. I was in the yeah eighth grade, and um, Mr. Lance, the band director, came to me and he said. Ken, there's a new drummer coming. He's pretty good. He's got a role. He's, uh, maybe I said, uh, oh, really? He's good, huh? And and, um, and I wasn't a great drummer. I was just, just learned how to play a role. I'd only been playing drums since a year before. And, uh, and I said, does, can, does he have a role? He goes, yeah, he's got a good role. And I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> And then you came along, you know. I had barely been playing at that time, too. But you started younger started. than me, though. Didn't you start when you were pretty young? Because your dad... Oh, yeah. My, my mom and dad started me around two years old. But I, oh, yeah, I didn't have old. the dif discipline at that time. I was just mucking around the whole time. Like a, like yeah. a seal, you know, a performing seal, mm -hmm. basically. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the way it kind of starts for everybody? It's a mimicking... Yeah, I, I suppose. I, I don't know. At, at that age, at anybody at two years old, I've never met anybody at two years old that truly studied like with a lot of discipline. I don't think the it's brain's possible. not there, is it? No, the brain's just not there. You can't even conceive of what music really is or drumming. You know? so right. right. It's just about mechanics or copying. You know, so. Right. right. Um, did you? There's a dog uh, in here. Yeah. Doggy. Um, so, so, so anyway, so that happened, and then we met, and I, you know, I remember um, my days at Walker, I remember before you showed up, I used to get beat up, you know, in the, from like Scott Schuff and uh, Tony, uh, somebody Pannoni, and they used to like punch my stomach because it was fat, you know, and, and yeah, so like for me, the, the little drum section of orchestra was sort of like a micro men's prison. You know? It was a little... Brutal, it's a little harsh. And then you came along and you, you know, I remember you had a big cowboy hat for some reason. Cowboy hat. I thought you did. Impossible. Not, not that you wear every day, but like you would wear it. Maybe I'm mixing some stuff up between Kennedy and then, um, but yeah. but I do remember that you had a Simon game. Oh yeah, Simon. You yeah. brought that, because the drummers, we were in the back, which where the drummers were in a, in a, in a junior high orchestra. And we even had our own little drum room. Right, all right. It was like That's you know, right. soundproof so that right. you could practice, you wouldn't bother anybody yeah. else. And that was pretty cool. Incredible. Right? Now, schools nowadays. Poof. Yeah, because you could have a gun in there now. Yeah, right. H-bomb. So we'd sit in the drum room while the band was rehearsing, and we'd play Simon or play talk. Simon. And, yeah, crazy. You know. I only got that game because I thought I could get chicks with it. <laughs> She wants to play Simon. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, and then, you know, after that, we went to Kennedy and, uh, you know, did, you did a little marching band and um, uh, we used to surf yeah. quite a bit. We used to go surfing. And we talk about being a drummer, which is what I'm trying to get to. And, you know, 
And we'd sit on a, we'd play drums on our surfboard out in Bolsa Chica or Huntington <laughs> Beach. Attracting sharks. Attracting sharks, yeah. Yeah, total signal. Sound. Yeah. And, yeah, so, and, you know, it was something we wanted to do. It felt like it was the only road, it was our only interest. And, you know, I didn't really do it, but you did, you know, and so. So tell me about, we're, we're talking, we're in a coffee shop right now, we're talking in line about Maynard Ferguson. I feel like Maynard Ferguson is sort of like the um, gold standard for a drummer, like that many great drummers, you know, for one week or one year or one decade, they play with Maynard Ferguson. You did it. You know, what was that like to be this guy who was, you know, Kennedy, you studied, Roy McCreary, we're in Pasadena, he's obviously around here somewhere. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's not really he far is, from yeah. here. It'd be great to visit him. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, at the time, it just seemed like a, just another gig. Really? Yeah. But not everybody could step into this thing and read that and play swing and, you know, yeah, the funk. I was, I, it was definitely a challenge, you know, no doubt about it. I mean, the, it was it was a huge challenge. I, I had done a, quite a bit of big band because I was teaching at MI. I was doing the big band class and the reading classes. That wasn't so much of an issue. But just getting into that band, it's just it's such a high energy, explosive chair, you know. It wasn't like a normal big band gig true. or whatever. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. So you really have to play your ass off. I mean Does that mean speed and volume or both or what? Bo both. Uh, not so not every tune was blazing fast, but there were tunes that were so amazingly fast that it was mm -hmm. just like a real challenge. And uh, and, and the other thing about it was just the, the book was so huge. Mm. It was something like 200 charts. And on the first gig, they sent me the book at like one week in advance already. I was like, oh, God damn it, man. You only had a week to? Yeah, to, to look <laughs> through it. And, and I said, please, you know, just give me like 15 tunes to concentrate on. <coughs> okay, so they gave me the 15 tunes. And of course, the first day I get there, and they're like, number 72. No, nothing. Wasn't it he studied? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, no. <laughs> You know, so it was basically sight reading the whole, you know, two initial weeks. Wow. Yeah. So, so I kind of jump around in this podcast. I mean, I remember being in your father's station wagon, and I remember having a cassette of Maynard Ferguson. I believe yeah. it was right Primal yeah. Scream or one of those. Right. It had Star Trek on it. Right. And Star Wars and all those big bombastic. Right. Like you right. say high energy. Yeah. We used to listen to that, you know, going to the drive-in movies right. and just cruising around stuff. Um, and then you're in this guy's band. You're like, you're the drummer in that, on that thing. I mean, it had to be kind of surreal. I think it just didn't register at the time because, uh, you know, I, I, for some reason it just didn't register. I was hanging around a lot of people, I think, at that time in, in various fields of or like entertainment and acting or whatever yeah yeah and it was so you know i mean their careers compared to mine were so already established and gigantic and i felt like okay playing with maynard Fraser's cool you know but it meant nothing to them you know? <laughs> or even the people around me it meant, you know, there was even detractors saying oh maynard ferguson's band blah blah man really oh yeah and there's you know it's exactly as it is now except no internet a hater is going to be always hating jealous or whatever so it just didn't register as a as something that would impact the rest of my life it, you know mm. it just it was just another gig like I said at the at the moment 
and I, I didn't think I'd last as long as I lasted. How long did you do that gig? About nine months. Mm -hmm. That's a long time for that show. I, I know many drummers who, I mean, I, I think one of my friends lasted like two weeks or yeah. a month, it, it maybe that, you know. Yeah, I had the gig for life. They told me, but you got it for life, as long as you want it. But so that means you were the kind of guy that you, you brought it. You could sit down, you could bring it. Well, I mean, Maynard it, it loved wasn't, it. yeah, I mean, uh, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't perfect the first, uh, who can do that book perfectly? Well, right, of course. In the first couple of weeks, you know. I mean, the, 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 I think the true marker was after the, the first week. That's right. The first week. Uh, if, we, if we get really boring, then there's stuff yeah, right. to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> after the first week, Maynard comes up to me and he's, Phil, Phil, come here. On the bus, I'm like, oh, oh God, no, he hates me, and whatever. And he goes, now that you got the jitters out, you know, I just want to give you one thing, just want to request one thing. And I'm sure, man, I'm sure, what is it? Just play everything you know, especially behind my solos. Like, so play wow. more, play, play, play more. more. Play everything I know. I was, I was shocked. Does that mean like, overplay? No, just he just wanted constant interaction. Like he didn't like any dead space, especially between his solo. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. with the drums, and he wanted me to push him all the time. Yes. It, to give so he him wanted a conversation. Yeah. All the time. All the time, constant. Give and no, take. No dead air. Mm -hmm. No ding, 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 ding. Mm -hmm. You know, he wanted like interaction. Yeah. Interaction. Constant interaction. Constant interaction. He loved. That's it. cool. Yeah. And that mix, was that why it was so fun to watch that band? Because it was never dead. Well, it could be. I mean, also, it was just, there were so many factors. You know, it's a super powerful big band. And I mean, big band with, like, speakers, you know, I, I don't, did, did he bring those speakers with him? I'd seen many Manny Ferguson shows, and it looked like a rock concert. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, it was, it was loud. It was let's, loud. Let's put it this way. After the first couple of weeks, I had vertigo for how loud it was. Because it was giving your ears? Yeah, I had monitors. Maynard was in my monitors. Ooh. And, uh, I mean, and that's was, before in-ear. Yeah, it was before in-ear. And he was just those notes and the power. I mean, the guy had such a power on that instrument. It was, it was just dumbfounding. Mm. Was, when he played that thing, it was, just, it was so loud. I couldn't believe how much air he could get yeah. through that thing. And so I started to get vertigo from all the high notes, you know, and my ears are ringing constantly. And I finally told the sound man, hey, man, can you... Back it off. Yeah, back off. And, uh, <clears throat> that's crazy. Yeah. Where do you think he, because he was an old man, I mean, and I'm old now, where did he get that energy to push that in, air into that I instrument? Don't, I, don't really, I don't really know. <clears throat> he wasn't the healthiest, healthiest. Of so he didn't things. like eat healthy and do yoga and? No, he was totally into the Indian thing and the okay. philosophy, but he didn't, he was overweight, you know, even, even back then. I don't know how, where he got the energy. I, I think it's just a real passion for music. And it could be two things, you know, now that I'm older. It could be, like, a real passion for music and the fact that if you stop, you're not going to be able to live, you know? Right, so, it keeps you going, doesn't it? Yeah. You kind of have yeah, to. To a certain degree, you know, mm. I don't like the, the financial dependence on having to be on the road constantly being pushed because of finances, you know. But the, for, for the passion, that's fine. But I'm, I'm not sure, you know, how, how much of a mix it was between two things. Hmm. Because if it, if it wasn't about money, then we'd probably be, get paid better. <laughs> you know right. It right. was not great. I mean, and obviously the, there was a cut thing going on, meaning that 
made or was getting a pretty big cut, right? I mean, I can imagine. The band was probably. We were making doodly squat. You know, we were, you know. Isn't that really the same story for like if you're playing with Buddy Rich or if you're playing with. Probably. Yeah. Probably. So many members of a big band. And yeah. It's, I can't imagine the logistics of, 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 of something like that. I mean, just organizing a clinic tour by myself, you know. Right. <laughs> it's like a nightmare. I How hate could that it. be done? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But yeah. can you imagine like 16 guys or whatever on the road right. on a bus, bus driver, airline tickets, hotels. Was there a road manager? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Really? Ed Sargent. Okay. He was a great road manager, but he was always pissed off. Aren't they all? God damn it. I'm going to be there. You know? yeah, I mean, what a stressful job, man. That must have Did he wear like a, a leisure suit with like big patches on the... No, no, no. He, Some he, of them do. Some of them, yeah. that's like a, like a, like a like costume. A, yeah, 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 yeah. No, he was a pretty nice... It, when he caught him alone a few times, he was a real nice guy. We talked, you know, for... He told me like history of Maynard and, you know, and what he'd done. So Ed Sargent, great, great, great. I mean, he was super organized. They have to be, right? You have to be. Those guys put flyers under the hotel room things. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, just he keep was, you going. Right. Yeah. He was on top of everything, all yeah. every flight. Super. Did he have a computer? No, they didn't even have a computer back then. No No computers. No. <laughs> I don't know how he did it. Right. <laughs> but he was. He was went on to Kinko's. Was probably went to Kinko's no, quite a bit or something. Probably. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> That's cool. Yeah. What, did he say anything interesting about Maynard? I mean, that you eh, just wouldn't have. Just road known? stories. I, I can't even rem remember them now. You know, just about some, this date, we this happened in that other date. And okay. On occasion, he would give me, actually, tips on uh, drumming for the band, too. Oh. Because he had seen He's so a musician? Many, I don't think so, but he had seen so many drummers go through that band, I think. He knew what Maynard liked, and, you know, he would guide me. Of course, every night after the show, you'd get cassette tapes oh. of the what show. Was that? So is that like a sports person where you're to review what happened to... Okay. Yeah. Every night after the show, boom, film out Toronto, cassette tapes, listen. Okay. You could see what you did wrong, what was good. And How did you feel about that? It was great. Yeah, that's a smart thing. Oh my God, it was so great. I, I thought I played great on this one thing and I listened back and I was shit, you know, so. <laughs> <coughs> but yeah, it was, that was great. Mm. I wish I would have stayed longer. I, like I said, I couldn't, couldn't handle the, the logistics, uh, the no hotel, no private hotel room. Yes. You know, that. Uh, it's like you're um, in the military, isn't it? A little bit? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, except for you don't have to kill anybody and mm -hmm. you're playing music, which is, which is great. But mm -hmm. there are certain things, you know, like I, I really needed, after a month, like nonstop on the road, driving 12 hours a day from one city to the next, and being constantly together with these cats and not ever having a moment to yourself, no yeah. solitude. No solitude. That, that wears on me. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, especially me. So, but that's maybe why the one guy you described. Who was the guy you said? What was his name? The guy that would go get in the get in the bunk, just go. Oh right, right. yeah. His name was a uh, Doug. I can't remember, man. What, it, what, what instrument did he play? Sax. Okay. So he would just get in the bus yeah. after things, just just knock right off. Yeah, the he seat. would see, have this ability to get in the bunk and sleep for until we reached the next city, like 12 hours. Boom, no matter how loud we were, and he would close his bunk curtains and we wouldn't see him the rest of the trip. So, so in a way, he was maybe e eking out his own solitude. Yeah, I mean, I don't see, I mean, but you know, it's, it was literally impossible. Right. And they were, you know, bickering and fights between the band. Oh, yeah. Of course, uh, you know, you have to- sick of each other. Yeah, completely sick of each other. You know? Yeah. Maynard kept his distance from everybody, but it's, uh, 
possible to. Where did he sit on the bus? If there's a in bus, the front. he's in the front. Okay. Yeah, yeah. His. And but how far would he be from the group? I mean, he was at his bunk. was like his area. Oh, so his whole yeah, sort of living quarters. Yeah, sort of like his living. And then the, all the rest were all bunks. There was no seats at all. Every, it was just bunks. Right. So it was, it was kind of, you know, if you wanted to stand up, you'd have to stand up in the middle in the, of the, the bus. Aisle. In the aisle and just stand there. There's nowhere to sit. Mm -hmm. right. So, so it's kind of cramped. Oh, super cramped. You know, that, that's what wore me down, really. Mm -hmm. And then the bickering with the, you know, the cats and everything that wore me down too. I don't like confrontations and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, at that age too, I, was, I think it was twenty. How old were you? Twenty nine. It was twenty nine. I didn't. I didn't exactly have the greatest people skills. Who does? Yeah, at that age to deal with that, with all that sort of in development at that point. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's so, cool. What a great story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How did it end? It ended that uh, I was getting jobs in LA and it was getting acting jobs too yeah. <laughs> funny enough and I told Maynard man you know I'm losing so much money I mean I love the band you got to believe me I love it man and, but I'm losing so much money being, you know I don't know what to do alright no problem you can <laughs> do what you whatever you like and then the next day it was over. They found another drummer, bam, like that in one second. Because people were totally wanting to. Oh, yeah. Do you remember, was it somebody that I would know that replaced you? I don't remember who it was. I think it was one guy who replaced me for like a week that had done the gig before okay. and then got another guy. And so they got guys out there that could cover it. Yeah, they covered it for like a week until they could find a normal replacement. And then, yeah. I, and then that's it. And then I lost track of it. Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Maynard first. I wish I would have played longer, but it's just, it was impossible, literally. You know, um, when I was driving out here, I thought about you and I, you know, we've known each other so long. And we would have some conversations about uh, things that were kind of, uh, I, don't know how to, I don't know what the word for it is, but they're you know, thinkers topics, uh -huh. stuff to think about, you know. I began to think about these phones. Yeah. I'm going to think about these phones. And I'm thinking, these the phones, um, you know, like, I was driving to get you, uh, uh, you know, to meet you, and and it's telling me how to get there. So if there's traffic, it's going to avoid that traffic. And so there's no way I'm not going to get to you in the, you know, the slower time. I'm not going to have my own experience. You know, I'm not going to have any adversity, or diversity, I should say. I'm going to... I'm going to avoid traffic. I'm going to get to you in the fastest route possible. You know? And I had <clears throat> talked to you with this same device. And it, uh, you know, this morning um, on the same device. And um, like I have to go do something tomorrow, you know, and it's, it's right here on this device. Yeah. This device is pushing me around. You know, like if you and I, if you and I, are, um, well, let's just be frank. If people are uh, eating a meal, if the device calls, they go to the device. Right. And then some people they're having sex. You know, and after sex, maybe sometimes during sex, if the device calls, <laughs> they give attention it. to the device. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, people at concerts are at the device. Yeah. You know. 
So are the are we already being ruled by the machines? Is this the first evolution of the machines pacing us? This is my key word, pacing. I feel that these things pace us, almost like a metronome. Yeah. And are we moving faster in our lives because of these machines? We are keeping up with all these people from high school. But we don't right. even see them, or we'd never know if there was not these machines. Right. But now we see them at their kids' softball games. We see them uh, in the hospital about to die. Right, right, yeah. Horrible. Do we need all this experience? Is, well, is, is it having an effect on us to be pushed? I mean, first of all, do you believe we're being pushed by machines? Do you think it's a service, or do you think we're being pushed? It depends on what country you're in. I think if, like for example, when I was in China just now, the importance of this thing and the, the, what it adds to your life is, is incredible. How just, so? Just because of the, first, just the translation functionality, like, first of all. To have a translation device you can talk into and give to another person you've never seen and from the opposite side of the world who speaks a language that you have no clue at all. Right. And you can actually have a conversation and interact or do whatever you have to do and get them to, to, to benefit from meeting you in some way. I mean, that is unbelievable. So that connected you? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it even gives you insight into their personality somehow, into their culture. You know, that's <laughs> bizarre, you know, that's completely bizarre. Is that better than if you had to do it the other way? Well, the it, other way it would just take so long to learn Chinese, to speak Chinese. Oh, God. You know, it would take so long. You'd have to be in a, in a place for a year just to be able to function basic language skills in Chinese, for example. But you can never gain insight into someone's personality by asking, you know, where's the coffee shop? But again, isn't it rushing that experience? <clears throat> isn't it robbing you of the ability to, to come up to bat and to learn a language and to put that time in to do that, to see if it's even worth putting that amount of time into doing? Well, like, like sort of like taking drums. Would you like this machine to make you a better drummer with less practice, or do you like the practice approach? It, it, it like I said, I think it, it really depends on on what what situation you're in. If it, if it's your hometown and you're letting the thing dominate your life, then yeah, then that's bad. You know, if if you're away from your whole town hometown, and you, for example, I mean, one time I was lost in China. You know, okay. I mean, lost. Yes, absolutely How lost. In the hell are you going to get to where you need to go? When you can't even understand the street signs. Nobody can understand you. You're in a you completely. I mean, and with this thing, the thing was solved, and, and, and it was instantly solved. But you were, but you were, but were you, but were you robbed of the experience of like maybe looking at the sun, looking at buildings, you know, old school ways to get back? Because certainly people have been lost in China before who yeah. didn't perish. No, but. Like I said, I, I don't know if it, it getting lost is such a great experience. I've been lost in so many countries. You know, to, I've been I'm, at this point. I'm I'm speaking pretty much fluently three languages, almost four in you know, German. So to to learn a language is is great, but with only four languages, even with four languages, there's such a small part of the, of the world that you can get along in. You know. So, in our in our brief lifetimes, yeah. you know, we, we, how many languages can you, unless you're a freak of nature, yeah. you know, I've seen those guys, like, they know 16 languages, whatever, yeah. but, you know, unless you're a freak of nature like that, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe you're losing the experience of learning a language, which is great, but you're also gaining the experience of, of talking to someone that you would have never been able to talk. Maybe you'd have to wait like four years to talk to the guy in the way you want, you know, in, the, in a deep way or in some way that you can communicate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it always depends on what, on what the situation is, where you are. But isn't it again rushing things? Isn't it again... Like, is, is, the, is the fact that what you just said about only knowing four languages and only having a lifetime to learn languages, is that sort of nature's way of saying that's as far as you should go? <laughs> well, if so, I, that, that would be really sad. I mean, I don't why, think, why is that? Because it, would, it limits human contact with different people. One of the most rewarding experiences has been the, the actual human contact with people from another planet, basically. You know, it's a, such a different culture, such a different way of thinking and gaining insights to their way of thinking because of the help of this device. It really helps you to be a better person, you know, <coughs> and perhaps <coughs> gain your, your own philosophy into your own world when you get back, you know, you're able to see. So for you, the, <coughs> the benefit of more human contact with more cultures outweighs the fact that you have to use a machine to connect you to those places. At, yeah, it depends on like I, you know, it depends on the situation. Again, if you're if you're somewhere for a very short period of time, for whatever reason, economic or you know logistics, you're just in in a place for three weeks or whatever. I mean. I would much rather have the opportunity to be able to communicate with somebody than be stuck uh, with a language barrier that doesn't allow me any contact with them at all. You know, so it, uh, it, it really you know, depends on the situation, the, the phone. If, if you're looking at it, you know, like you said, if you're with a beautiful woman, the woman of your dreams or whatever, and you're looking at the phone, during sex or whatever. Or just, just after. Or just have you, you've got a problem, you know. That's a problem. And, and. But isn't it the machine beckoning you? No, I think it's, it's the, the machine is just a, it's just there, you know. <coughs> the beckoning, it's all in the mind. I think it's all in the mind, because there's always, you can always turn it off, you know. I mean, nobody does. Nobody does, but you can, you could. Why so, do people feel a relief when they're in some situation, like say a play, a play's over, and they just can't wait to get to yeah, yeah, what's on that's, Twitter. That's a problem. That's, even, <laughs> even on the plane, you get off, uh -huh. a, off a plane, yeah. the minute the plane lands, yeah, you can now use your phone, everybody, pow! You know, geez, it's not just like young, in the old days it was just young people, now it's yeah. old people. Everybody. It's like a drug, isn't it? A little bit? Or we treat it as a drug? Yeah, well, you know, it's hard to say. I think, I think the, what's, what's interesting is, that the lack of human human contact can drive one to put their energy into a device like this. Why is that? It's almost like a you know when you're a kid and you have a, those things a pacifier, I guess it's called. Okay. Yeah. It's almost like that. Mm. It's almost like a pacifier. Because it what it makes you feel like you're in connection with something like a nipple. Right, like it's say okay. say you go to a, some other city you don't know anybody on yeah. land yeah. in a foreign country whatever yeah. but your phone is there so you can talk to your friend and wherever you don't feel so alone so you don't need to step it up and be 
you don't need to adapt. This thing's going to keep you from adapting because well, yeah, that's it's a, creating that's, a tone. That's the problem. So they don't don't they depend on this thing like a pacifier. So that's it's always on the situations. It depends. One one thing that led me to to discover all this was because in in China and in, in Italy and wherever sometimes I don't have SIM cards. Okay. In Brazil, it's illegal for foreigners to buy a SIM card. Okay. So you can't have a SIM card. Okay. Uh, there's many times you don't have internet, taxi or on a plane or a bus or whatever. Okay. And driving or whatever, you don't have internet. So you're totally disconnected and you have to like rely on, on local people to tell you where to go, where, where the, this place is and have to interact. So <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. Because I feel that, that, that on some level these things disconnect us from people. Oh yeah. Even though we're in connection with like all these people from oh, Kennedy yeah. High School and our lives and past musicians totally. and actor friends, in a way it's the most unintimate. Oh yeah. And I, I think that New York is kind of the, the, the biggest uh, like culmination of all that shit. I look at people in New York and I, I always call New York the loneliest city in the world. Hmm. Why is that? Because everybody's on their phones, <coughs> like there's limited human contact, even on a train. Yeah, it's so crowded. Yeah, it's so crowded. It's so crowded. Huh. Yet everybody's completely lonely. I think. Or is it like you and Maynard's bus? Do they need solitude? Do humans need a certain level of? Of course, you need solitude. Well, one thing is being, you know, having to deal with 16 people constantly, 24 hours a day, not getting a break at all. And, and another thing is, you know having your space and interacting with people in the city or whatever going on the train and, and not making sure you don't make eye contact with anybody because you know, right offensively or yeah, aggressively or even, or even even any kind of well, you know because i mean it'd be construed as yeah, well, you're something negative me. yeah yeah it's eye contact on the on the train in, in new york on the subways no. sin right yeah nobody would talk and look at each other it's so ridiculous but why do you think that is why do they not want that why has that become a code? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. It's just, Human beings must feel like they needed it. They must feel like it's just too much to be on this train with 32 people in each car. You know that 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 as human beings we don't we don't you know we we can't be social in this situation because we're just going to work or going home or wherever. We're in transit, and it's just too much for a human being to just be. Oh, hi, how are you doing? Oh, how's it going? I don't know because. Or do you think it's for negative reasons that they don't want eye contact? Yeah, I think it's for negative reasons that they they. I mean, let's face it. I don't know when's the last time you guys, if anybody's listening, we're in New York, but the, there's a homeless dude in every cart, in every car, you know, and you're constantly getting hit up for money, all the time, even at 3 a.m. at 2 p.m. at it's like always. Somebody wants something from you. There's yes. always some guy coming into the car. Uh, oh, I'm homeless. Can anybody help me? Uh, here's my story. I'm like, oh God. Or dancers or whoever. You're starting to sit there in peace, and the hip hop dudes come with them. Oh, they do that in the actual in the train, and you're train. sitting there, and the, mm -hmm. you know you're trying to dodge their hands and legs are flying around on the thing, and then they and hit just, you so up for money. So they're performing. They're performing basically. They're performing, but that, I don't <coughs> think that's the correct. Uh, that should not be allowed. Cause that's like you're a prisoner, you don't have a choice but to partake in that situation. If they're yes. blasting the music, 
And then they hit you up for money. Say, get out of my face, man. You know, that's, that's it. So see that thing, get out of my face. That's so New York. That's, 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 that's like the typical is thing. It, is that really, on the level of meanness, is that a zero or one or a 10? 10 being No, like that's nothing. I mean, I, I think that's kind of the, the culture in New York. Get out of my face, you know, that's whatever. <laughs> you kind of smile after you say it. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is about New York, when like, when things go really bad, yeah. then I think people kind of come together. Not as much as I would hope, and not for the duration of time that I would like, but, you know, that's, that's kind of a New York thing. And in China, on the other hand, you walk on the subway and it's, the floors are glistening so clean the windows everything is so clean you can't walk in new york you know rats eating pizza and they're smoking a cigarette and everything, you know. china was like immaculate and i and I'm, i asked my friend why is this so clean he says because the people keep it clean you know huh. like i saw people like picking up trash and putting it in a, in a trash can you know <clears throat> and like taking care of the station like, why do they do that it's a whole different mentality. It's like, it's like the communal thing. It's like everybody has to be here, so we, we have to take care of it. You know, hmm. as opposed so, so do they desire to do that, or, or they would get put in jail if they don't do no, that? No, it's, it's ingrained in there. It's ingrained, I it's think, cultural. Even, it's a cultural thing. I mean, even in the, in the sharing of things, you know, in the socialist kind of mentality, there is this sharing of things that becomes ingrained in you, you know as opposed to something like that you don't value, like the trains in New York, everybody takes a fucking cigarette and dumps it on the floor, or leaves their drinks or Starbucks on anywhere they want, or it's filthy, you know, they throw trash at it. You know, I, I think they just don't have the sense that, that it's a communal thing and they, they want to take advantage or something. Hmm. As opposed to, yeah, as opposed to China where they, where they think it's, it's a communal thing and it's ingrained, you know, in this social behavior. It's, it's very uncool to be not socially aware. Like what you do, throwing trash affects somebody else. So they, they, the train station is immaculate. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, weird. Right. It was, it was great to see. Right. You know. You've traveled a lot, you know, um, and you enjoy traveling. Is yes, that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So, what is the takeaway from it? Like, say, you know, if you had to explain to some little kid why traveling is an important thing, what do you get from it? It's like, it's like, a, it, it's, I don't want to sound all these existentialists and whatever, folks, but. It's almost like a, a, a meditation. It's like you, you're taking this journey and the journey seems like outside your body, hmm. you know. Why is that? Because you're, you're on this, like a quest, okay. you know. It's, it's really ancient, you know, this whole thing with traveling and, and quests and, uh, uh, you know, the, the era, the Muslims, they call it the jihad, you know. It's like a, it's like a jihad. It's like a quest, a journey of some sort. Yeah, to to reach your destination, it, it completely takes you out of your personal crap, you know. So you're sitting there, you have a goal, you have a, 
thing that you're trying to do, and when it's a massive amount of travel, you know, you become lost with your pettiness and all the things you hmm. normally think about. So in a way, is it an escape from yourself? No, it's a, it's a meditation because you, you feel like submerged in, it, it's almost like the opposite. You feel like submerged in yourself because you, you don't know anybody. You know, you're dealing with politely, dealing with things, and, but you're alone ultimately. You know, as you so go, you're, you're in a place where you don't know anyone. Right. That's interesting. And so you don't have the. You backup. don't know the culture. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't, don't know even know where you are. You yeah. don't know where you are. Yeah. So it's really. So you're very much like in space. Yeah. So isn't that sort of like one of those meditation tanks? Totally. It's like that. It's a. It's a journey. It's isn't, a meditation. isn't that what somebody who drinks like a bunch of vodka gets to? Like just sort of like. <laughs> <coughs> no, that, that would that would numb <coughs> your your aware, awareness. Your take away the the self awareness mm. and the experience. You know, that would so numb. you get more focus, more connection to yourself. Yes, when you're out there in that journey, when you're kind of like uh, a stranger, you're the right. stranger. Yeah, you really you become focused, and it's it's almost like a Buddhist. In Buddhism, they say. You know, the, they call the monkey mind, the mind that won't focus and can't focus on one thing and stay on it. You know, constantly thinking of this and that and that, right. jumping around all the time. Is it really Buddhism or is that that one internet Buddhist? <laughs> well, <laughs> according to Buddhism, there is, you know, that, I mean, they, Do they talk they about, talk that about the monkey, monkey mind. mind. I know what that is. Yeah. That's me. <clears throat> well, that's a lot of people. <laughs> and also, it comes and goes, too. You have to constantly control it. So could you... If you were like a homeless guy and you were in Pasadena and you just like walked to Palm Springs and is that the same journey as that you're no. on? How is it different? Because I think to arrive to be homeless, you have to, there has to be some mental issue going on. But they're still on a journey. They're still trying to get to Palm Springs. Yeah. They meet people on the way. They don't know anybody. No, you have to be in a healthy place to be able to take the journey in a healthy way. I think if if you're homeless, I mean I, I mean I've seen homeless like really, yeah. really homeless. Yeah. You know that's that they're mentally ill. They're either war veterans who have seen just horrors, or people who are truly addicted to drugs or alcohol. I mean they're not in a good place at all. I, mean, for, right. I haven't showered in like three weeks. They smell. I mean. But they're still on a journey. They still don't know people. They're still going from town to town. No, they're it's, still it's, trying to get to a destination. But maybe. it's not a it's not a travel. It's a, it's a result of their their sickness, you know, as as opposed to purposely taking going on a quest to accomplish a, a mission or whatever. You know, that's a different. But their mission is is to go where it's not so cold. Like maybe they're going there in the summer. Yeah, and and I mean, if it if it would be the case, then it might help them. I, I, but I would it be know. a similar experience as yours? I'm gonna ask. No. Because, because when you're on a trip that's so far away, you know, really far away, I don't think you can accomplish it with, with zero preparation and zero mental faculties. You know, you have to, you have to be, you have to prepare. You have to get plane tickets. You have to organize. You know, everything from step one to step two. I don't think a homeless. To what what level does uh, a trip become? to this level you're talking about. In other words, like say, you have a homeless person trying to go from here to Palm Springs, and what if you have a family who are gonna go camping in Yosemite, but they've never been to Yosemite, is that? That definitely can help too. I mean, that'd be know. similar to what you experience, or no? Well, no, because you're with your family. 
Oh, so it's about being by yourself. Yeah. In a place where you don't know the language yeah. of the people or the culture. Yeah. I mean, still, that, that still could be a homeless guy who's never been to Arizona. He, he walks. He might hitchhike to hitchhike Arizona. to Arizona. But he's still in, in the United States. Well, then a homeless guy that is in you know, Washington, he goes to Canada. He's still in the Western, very similar culture. Like so you have to go around the other side of the world? Like This is pirate ship stuff? We have to get on a pirate ship? I think so. I think like being three months on a pirate ship and getting on a pirate ship and going to a completely different will change your life. Absolutely. You, you will overcome you know, whatever thing that is dominating your life. Because on the pirate ship, you ain't going to find out drugs, for example. Unless they had a stockpile of drugs, this is a drug arrive. Yeah, yeah. this <laughs> is a drug. The pirate ship keeps going. Yeah, <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, I think I think uh, the meditative part of the journey has to stem from being in a at least a semi-healthy place. I mean, a homeless person is the saddest, unbelievable, saddest thing I've ever witnessed. You know, I mean, like a monk isn't very far removed from a homeless person, like a monk. They might live in a very small space. They, well, but he's doing it on purpose yeah. for for a reason, yeah. which is to become closer to, to God or the spiritual journey that they're taking. A homeless person, they're more of a victim. You're saying, yeah, they're yeah, more, they, they're out of control. Completely. They're not in control of the situation. Yeah, they're they're, you know, most of them are ill, mentally ill. So uh, if you're mentally ill, you cannot, you know, be in control of your circumstances you kind of just you know, yeah. <clears throat> mm -hmm. it's I mean the kind of homelessness I mean you have it here in LA but I think most people in LA don't don't go to confront the homeless guys they don't go to the, talk to them mm -hmm. over there in, in downtown in New York you're forced to so you're really close to them you really well, have a contact the they're sitting next to you they're barking in your face give me money you know one time I was sitting there on the subway and this guy, homeless dude, I mean, he, was, he was destroyed. His hair was like matted and clothes and he smelled like piss and vomit and shit. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I sat there and he was telling his story, I'm homeless because of And I was getting annoyed because he smelled so bad. And, and he, he looked at me and he goes, you. I don't give a shit what you, you think you're better than me. You think you're judging me. I can see it in your face. And you, and he started pointing to everybody. <laughs> oh, God. Did he know that you were vibing him? Did he know that you were unhappy? Or that you were... Yeah, I mean, he could tell because I, he smelled so bad that I was, I was like repulsed at the same time. I felt really bad for him, but I was repulsed. Yeah. It's like, Jesus, man, you know, at least go to a goddamn shelter, take a bath or something. But, but obviously, his mental facility. No, he wasn't there. No, he's just gone. He's yeah. completely gone. So yeah. somebody in that position cannot possibly take a quest for what it's supposed to be. They're, they're, they're mentally ill, you know, which right. is so, so sad. I mean, that, that type of stuff, you just don't see it in, in other countries. Mm -hmm. That amount of deterioration, you know. <clears throat> hmm. I wonder why that's something that's ex more exclusive to the West. You know, I don't know. I think it, uh, it, it, it's probably because we have this, probably, I'm guessing, it's all I can assume, is that we have this society, this capitalistic society that says everybody has to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. You know, there's no help for you. You want to be poor? Too bad. 
you're poor, you know, where that just kind of, it's just not allowed in other places, you know. Mm -hmm. <coughs> I mean, in Germany, there's obviously homeless people, mm -hmm. but they have a choice. They, they can get an apartment, they can, you know, hmm. easily get 1,300 euros a month to live on and not be in that situation. But a lot, many of them want to be in that situation. Right. And, and I know that in, in, in the States, there's also those people that want That's to a be. a choice. Yeah. Yeah. But the option is always there, and we don't have that option here. Okay. You know, and in Sweden, it's also the same thing. You don't have to be at all. You don't want that. Yeah. Okay. You know, <clears throat> but it's that, interesting. Yeah. But even the bums in Germany, for example, you know, mm -hmm. they're not as deteriorated as our guys in New York. I mean, those cats, oh my God. I mean, they have a really short lifespan. Right. Because it's so. Yeah, sleeping on the subway. Yeah. Subway's so noisy, and there's people coming in and out all the right. time, and then they, at 2 in the morning, the subway reaches destination, and they get kicked off the subway. So then they right. beg for money to get back on, and uh, it's just like a vicious... Right. How long can anybody last like that? You know? right. But, you know, the, 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 the journey thing is, is very interesting. And I, I think if, if they were able to overcome that situation and get in a position where they could like travel for consciously yeah purposely that it, it would solve a lot of issues in their life to see other now, i'm things. interested in that why does it how does it solve issues to, to the, how does that experience you know help those because you your brain it's from what i've researched i'm no scientist but from what i researched as soon as you leave your environment your brain begins to change the chemistry, for sure, and they say that to a certain degree, even the shape and size of your brain. Like when you, when you start to go to other places where you're unfamiliar with, the things that you concentrate on are also change. Like you concentrate on one very specific thing. How do I get to point A to point B? Like, and, and I don't speak the language. I mean, suddenly you're in a situation where senses that you haven't used you know, maybe because of you, we all, most of us live in a very familiar. Yeah, right. yeah. That that familiarity, familiar. I can't even say it. Mm -hmm. Is is like a padding. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So so you're using you're using more of your brain because you because you have to. Yeah, the chemistry begins to change in your brain, and the and the you know, of course, there's always the danger of getting to that place, becoming used to it, and then falling back into the. Then you gotta go somewhere else. Yeah. Right. But if I think if you keep going, keep going, keep going, I mean, that's like a, a, a historic, like, you know, the journey. There's so many documented in history uh, journeys that changed people's lives, you know. The, the so so is there, would there, let's say, for conversation's sake, that with this phone, you're able to continue to travel. Um, is there a time when it would become the norm? That. I don't think so because, when, for example, in, in India, I, I lived for a year and a half in India. And in India, if you drive one hour away, even the frickin' local guys don't even understand what the other guys say. Okay. So even if you did learn Hindi, are you going to learn 700 other dialects that are, exist in India? It's just impossible. Okay. And in China, it's the same but thing. But I mean the same in that, that experience. In other words, you're, you're using brain muscles that other people aren't using. Yeah. So like if you, let's just say from this point on, you travel, say, f four times a year. Mm. 
if, that, if that's a number that you're comfortable with, um, would that become the norm, traveling and, and using that brain? In other words, would yeah, you... Yeah, let's hope so. Okay, <laughs> so, so let's say that becomes the norm. Is, it, is the benefit still there when it's oh, yeah. just... So, so it never tops off, it never, you know, like peaks that experience of being unless somewhere where you don't know where you're at. And yeah, unless you're completely shut off as a, as a human being, you know, as a uh, maybe cynical, maybe burnt out on life and don't want to experience anything in life anymore, then maybe no matter how much repeat, you know, you go and repeat that. Because I'm just wondering, like, if you, because humans can get used to anything is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, no, so I, I think, think I think when you're in a different place, that your brain, like, either you either survive or you're, you can't even, you know, you're gonna be outside. You have to find a hotel or you have to get to your destination or else you're gonna be sleep in the in street. Oh, yeah, sleep in yeah, a park. there's a good tree over there. Yeah, not, that's not, that's not, you know. People do that, I mean, that's People do that, but not, not in the middle of winter. You're, oh, you're no, dead, no, no, for sure. You know, not, sure. not in, a, in a place where there's, King Cobra snakes, like in the grass, waiting for your ass. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't do that shit in India. But like, say, if you're somebody who travels all the time yeah. for your work or something like that, like literally, you know, every yeah, you, you have to enjoy. Would you, that part. would you become, you know, used to that? Would that become the norm? Would you lose that Hopefully. benefit of? Oh no, I don't think the having to because uh, are you talking about adaptation basically? It is. Is that a part of it? Ad adaptation to your environment. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean. So like if you had to do that every day your whole life, would it be, would it still be beneficial? Yeah, it depends on, on why you do it. You know, so it's you, the intention. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's, it's an intention. If, if you do it to, to go on vacation, you know, with your girlfriend or whatever, then I don't think that's much of a mission. You know, if you, if you take your girlfriend and your go to, uh, your mission is to, instead of being in a resort, you know, is mm -hmm. to is to go to like Town, a, a real place. Well, go to a place like uh, in India. There's a place called Oroville. Yeah, where it's like uh, there's no money. You have to basically work for the community. It's a it's a self-sufficient uh, like commune. Let's say. Sounds like it. Yeah, and, and that's they, interesting. They have one of the biggest meditation domes in India, so they, you, if you want to go, it's like a gigantic dome, and there's all these crystals on the, on the top, you know, you go up to the top and you meditate, and there's like a waiting list. Is there a reason you do that? Is it better to meditate in a dome than say just at- No, I'm, well, for, for, for a beginner, yes, because you're in, in an environment where okay. it's sacred, and you, eventually you find that place no matter where you are. But uh, if, if you're on some kind of a, of a mission, yeah, even as a musician, if you're on a mission to play music that you love and hopefully, you know, have a, have a great experience playing that regardless of the people, yeah. you know, then that's a mission, you know, something, something bigger than you, you know, not okay. going to a resort. If you go to a resort or if you go, you know, if you have a job as a salesman or something and you go from point A to point B and you're in the hotels and never... Mm -hmm you know, go off the beaten path or just do it out of right. rote, you know, then it doesn't do anything. Right. Think, you know. right. So, so the, the metronome that these machines are, the, the fact that they do put this machine clock into our lives, 
It's similar to a metronome as to a musician. Do you think that a metronome is uh, helpful or detrimental to a musician? Do you think we should be playing to this clock? Or do you think that we should be playing to our own internal tempo? Well, it, it all depends. I mean, in music, in Africa, there's no such thing as metronome playing. In Cuba, either. In Brazil, either. You know, the, so the metronome is a, is a Western thing, you know. And, and uh, it, it depends on what your use of the phone is going to be. You know, obviously... Well, I don't mean the phone part. I mean, the um, as a musician, like, you're a musician, so... Do you think that a metronome is a useful tool or unuseful oh, it's, tool? It's useful for developing muscle memory, you know. But if you play metronomically in salsa or whatever, you're fired. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so Yet there are Western musics where metronomically, they like it so much they'd rather have a machine do it than a human. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's how antiseptic it's, 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 it's become. And it's, you know, is it antiseptic, or is there some aesthetic that, as humans, we aspire to perfection? So the machine being closer to perfection than we could achieve—that that's uh, well, that's only like a Western paradigm. Because in India, there's no way that a machine can duplicate, you know, like a, a tabla player. There's no way; it's just impossible. So this, the player is more perfect than a, than a machine. There's, there's just no way you can in, in salsa it's kind of the same thing if you program that shit it sounds horrible right. you know so so the, all the paradigms we have are, are tricky because you can't apply them in in every no, situation no i'm not saying right and i'm not saying i'm not i just think it's interesting that well for instance you know um i was when, when we were young you know me and uh, wackerman you know we were trying to figure out how to make machines sound human and so we kind of went on a quest for that, you know, and we did things, stupid things, you know, changing uh, velocities and changing right, where the right. things laid, trying to mimic human. Right. And then, and then at the same exact time, people from like Compton were getting old 808 machines and they were like, well, we like it just like this. Right. And, and they made like a music that changed people's lives. People got married to it. People... It, it's a you, you can't really watch a movie without some level of machine you know music I just think it's interesting that some people like to hear a machine make music or part of it other people don't like it at all yeah. culturally right well it, it depends on what culture you're in it really depends on right. what, what's you're in your surroundings as far as human beings, I mean, I think the overwhelming amount of human beings, when you take into consideration one billion people in India, one billion people, we are such a small minority on yeah. this planet. You know? <laughs> we, right. we tend to think that everybody is, is like us, but it's, it's not like Well, I'm not anymore. even saying that. I'm just saying that music is made with machines and music is made with people. Yeah, you know the overwhelming amount of overwhelming amount of people in the, on the planet prefer natural humans. Yeah, human. I mean, you know, it's just no doubt. After after seeing, yeah, but first you have to see it in person. You, know, you have to 
because this in the United States especially we would um, those in control of things would love to eliminate the artist you know and be and do whatever the fuck they want to be able to sell and turn music into to make more money yeah okay turn music into just a piece of shit that they can sell like dog food because they don't care they just they want give money a goddamn right. crap but that unfortunately for us the world is big and those guys are a very small percentage of people so you know there's there's a, a huge gap also in the spiritual aspect of music in, in the united states in the 70s we used to have it because you, you, know, you know, you remember we'd go to jazz clubs and people sit there in the audience with their eyes closed, really listening and not talking, not on their phones, but they had their eyes closed and listening to every moment. I mean, that, that was amazing. Mm -hmm. I got to experience that. You know? Yeah. And in India, that's the way it is now. It I still is. It still is. I mean, it's a spiritual experience to go to a concert and sit there and listen to, you know, Dr. Karthik or, or whoever, you know, it's, right. it's a spiritual experience. Right. And even the little kids, you know, like, whoa, we don't have that here because we're, we've been, we're being systematically robbed of, of what the true meaning of, of music is, you know. We've, it's, they've been at it for decades. You know. And who's they? The, the music industry. Those, it, was, it was better when the, when the cigar moguls, you know, those guys that would try a lot of different stuff. Yes. You know, <clears throat> but now they've got these, the worst people in the world as A&R, A&R reps, you know, yes. the, the, those guys that think they know something about anything. Yeah, that's, that's like, because they, you're saying it's, it's a negative thing because they have a more narrow. Yeah, they want, they want something that's going to be a hit. You know, they're trying mm -hmm. to duplicate hits after hit after hit. Which is that way you can make more money. Everything's yeah, it's, a money maker. It's about money. It's not, it should, music should not be about that at all you know, it's, a, right. it's a completely spiritual thing it's, it's been used for communication for how many centuries you know it's, right. a, it's a it's a it's a thing that's in, inculcated in, in the human being it's such an integral part of it's like, it's like language you know? hmm. and, and to do this to music is, is one of the most almost like anti-human sacrilegious well that, that would involve let's say religion if that sacri the word sacrilege but it's it's almost like anti-human to to degrade music to the point that they, they do in the west you know especially the, does it does it does music survive though even though yeah, yeah. music survives because we are a very small percentage of the world you know mm -hmm. <laughs> there's no way the music is not going to because right. nobody in india gives a flying crap about madonna you know, but even here do you think that there are pockets of people who like music on their own terms hmm. of course we underestimate the people here in the, in the states because there's such a small percentage, but there are tons of music lovers, you know, people that really know about music and love great music. Just such a small percentage. And getting smaller and smaller, because, you know, we, they, they, those in control, they just don't want that. You know? Right. So, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I'm going to get a water. Okay. Do, do they have a water thing here? Do you see I'm it? I'm not sure, but mild. I think they'll give you one if you just ask for a coffee. I'm going to wait till the line's down. So here's an interesting thing. Um, the um, 